Our sermon text for this morning comes from the book of Titus, the third chapter, uh, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Lord, we thank you so much for this word, God. We thank you um, for your grace and for your mercy. And Father, pray that you would just open our hearts um, to the word that you would have for us this morning from Ron. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you guys today? Good, good. Alert crowd. That's great. That is great. Um, as Brent said, my name is Ron, and I am, I'm one of the rare dinosaurs roaming around who's actually from here. Um, actually, I went to Hornet Central. Um, if, if you knew me back then, I apologize, right? <laughs> one of those things. Um, and you're probably like, well, what's he doing here? Maybe that's not the same guy, right? <laughs> so, yeah, God, yeah, God has a, a very good sense of humor, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, and, and I, I guess we're going to continue the, the Good Deeds series. Um, I, had, I had thought about coming in. I had, I'd, I'd had this thought that I would come in and, and give you a theological uh, explanation for why a tithe was 20% instead of 10%. And, and then th- that, that Rick uh, was always right and that you should listen to every word that he says. Yeah, that, that's what I thought I'd come preach. But he said, yeah, but, but you know, he, he wants me to be in Titus 3. So, so just ignore all of that. Um, so good deeds, like as I, as I thought about good deeds, um, I'm thinking, so, so we think, okay, somebody, somebody treats you nice, somebody does a good thing for you, that's a good deed, that's, that, those are decent people, so maybe that's what it's talking about, and, and I started reflecting on the past year of my life, and, and maybe what were some things that people have done in my life to kind of walk with me through some, through some things, so, so, you know, this week, there, it's really the one year. So this, this week, a year ago, I was in the middle of a, of a mini sabbatical. I had taken three months off. Explore Church had, had been very gracious to me during that time. But, but this week, um, a year ago, we, Robin Williams committed suicide, right? And so for some people, they were thinking, okay, this is just a, a real famous guy. I mean, he was funny. Like, what in the world? Like, you know, what, what caused that? Like, where did that come from? But I, I paid close attention to it because three months prior to that, my father had committed suicide. So I was, I was, I, I was looking at it from a standpoint of, man, you know, what are the kids going through? How, how are they doing? You know, I was thinking this, this is, you know, and, and you know, we live in this day and age where people tweet and they put Facebook stuff out there. And, you know, people like to get, they like to become extremely, they like to be called virtual cowards is what I would say. They go on, they put a little tweet or post or whatever and they send it off to this this person's you know twitter page and they're, they're reading it and, and and i remember paying attention to it and seeing that that robin williams daughter actually got off social media for a little while because she was you know she just lost her dad to something as, as serious as suicide and people all they can do is is give harsh words or, or talk about how robin williams was was very heroic in taking his life and i started reading this stuff like that i'm like are you kidding me and, and it started bothering me a little bit, but when I, when I started thinking back on, on good deeds and what people did for me uh, during that time, you know, I, I think you know, the week after my dad died, so he, he committed suicide, uh, he shot himself, and he was in the hospital for four days, actually died on Father's Day of all days, you know, so, so you know, and, and it all kind of went down in front of me. It was really this, this long, perpetual thing, you know, but... But we, um, you know, just seeing people come to the funeral home, thinking, okay, I, I didn't expect to see them there. That was nice to see them there. Um, but, but even a week after that, I had a, my, my 
college roommate lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's a firefighter in Cincinnati. And he actually flew or, or drove down here for a week just to kind of hang out with me for a, for a week. And I was like, man, that is a, a really good, he's a solid, solid Christ follower. He was able to invest in me, not, not just do a nice thing for me, but he was able to speak the gospel into my life in a very difficult, difficult time and walk with me through that. And also explore church, um, being able to, to, to say, look, we want to give you three months to process this. And it actually took, took me about a month and a half to realize that I, that I needed to take some time off and, and, and process actually what, what, what happened. And so I was thinking, you know, so these are, these are, you know, these were acts of service. These were good deeds that were done for me, but they were, they were, they were selfless. You know, I actually had someone, um, you know, someone bought me a, a prayer. I guess you can buy prayers from, you know, somewhere. I don't know where people were like, maybe monks are in a little place and, you know, they, they're, you know, you get, you get in the prayer clock or whatever. And so, and and ironically enough, when you, when you experience something, you begin to see what's going on around you. You begin to see, okay, you know, so-and-so is going through the same thing that I went through. But the, the lady who sent me that, yeah, I really didn't know her. She worked with my wife. Her mom later committed suicide about two months later. And so, so you know, I automatically wanted to do a kind thing for her and, and, and try to be there and walk with her through it because, you know... It, not everybody understands what that's like. You know, not everybody understands all of that stuff. And so, so these were good things. They were good deeds. But as I, as I think about it, does that necessarily mean that a good deed makes you a good person? It just means that you, you did something good. You, you reflect, like people, and here's, here's atheists, Christians, Muslims, people in general we are made in the image of God. We might not all be children of God, but we are all made in the image of God. And so we reflect certain characteristics of God in this world. We may not always, say, point other people to Jesus. or We may not always know that, that, that when we are being kind to other people that we are reflecting him in the world. But that's, that's something that by God's common grace, he allows us to do do little things, little acts of love, regardless of whether or not you believe in God or not. You're made in the image of God. And so the way in which you conduct your business, the way in which you interact with people, you know, sometimes there are hints of, of you being made in the image of God. Sometimes, they're, they're, sometimes you don't image it for them well, but you still are an image bearer of God. And so that's where we get our worth. So... You know, we look back, so, so Mark 10, we're going to be in Titus 3, but I, I want to explore this idea of, of what it means to be good. You know, are there really good people out there? Or is it just there are people who struggle, have a sinful heart that can't do good, good deeds? And so what Jesus said, Jesus in, in, in Mark 10, he's interacting with this guy who's a very wealthy guy. And the, the guy comes to Jesus in Mark 10 and, and the account is where he's, he's going to Jesus and he's asking him, what, what must I do to, to, to get into heaven? I've done this. I've been obedient to my parents. I've, 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 I've done, I haven't murdered anybody. I've, I've been kind. I've, I've done this. And Jesus is saying, go and give everything you've got away. And, and basically goes off and he's, he's sad about it. And this is a very good guy. And his disciples are like, look, if, if he can't do it, He's a very morally outstanding guy. He's got a lot of stuff. He's been obedient to the commandments. If, if he can't do it, who can do it? And what God is saying is, he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so God is the one who, who, who does all that we need to, to get us into the presence of God. But, but what he, he says to Jesus, he says, he calls him good teacher. And in, in Mark 10, 18, Jesus says this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good, like innately good, but God. God is the only one who's good. And so good deeds, like my friend Jordan who came down from Cincinnati and did that, he was, he was extending the love of God. He was imaging the love of God. Explore church, giving me the time off that I needed to, to, to allow 
people to speak into my life. And you know, that, was, that was being extensions of God's goodness and extend, extensions of God's grace. But God is really the only one who's good. And so, so where does this come in to us with good deeds? And so what, what we're going to do is we're going to be in Titus chapter 3. And um, it's just to give you, I don't know what Rick is. I'm sure Rick has explained every verse, like every word in the verse. And so you guys are all caught up. But for, for the folks who came to see their grandkids sing today, I'll, I'll catch you guys up, right? Um, so Paul is writing to a guy named Titus. He's a pastor in an area. And what he, in the letter, really what he's doing is he's trying to guard against false teachers. He's trying to guard against people who, who are really, they're, they're stirring up dissension. They're being disruptive. They're, they're, not, they're not leading well. And so what he initially does is he goes, he, he talks with this, he writes this letter to Titus and tells him to go appoint church leaders and elders and pastors and people who can give healthy oversight and sound doctrine in the churches throughout the city. So, so his, his role wasn't to go in and, and, and just wipe out all the people who are, who are telling bad things. No, what he's doing is let's, let's go in and let's, let's train up leaders to go into the church, to plant churches, to, be, to, to pastor and give healthy oversight over the, the people there so that they're not drawn away by the false teaching. <clears throat> so he, they start there and, and and he gives the description of these people it says that this is in chapter one um around 16 in verse 10 he says that they are there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers and deceivers and he goes on to describe them as saying that they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good deed so th- these people are pretty much worthless in the sense that they they aren't they aren't capable of doing anything good and so, this, so, so he, he moves from that, the training of, of leaders, training of teachers, and he moves from there to showing how the church should function together as a family. Because here's the deal. Like, regardless of, of what ethnic group you are, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how little money you have, regardless of what your job is, everybody, if you put your faith in Jesus, we are this one big family. So we're one big family with our kinks, with our, with, with, with our flaws, and every one of us contribute to that, right? So we're all part of this family, and what Titus is saying, this is how you should, this is how you should live. This is how you should operate. You, 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 you're, the folks who are older, you need to invest in those who are younger. Help them model what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Mo- model what it, what it looks like to be a, to be a believer, and in chapter 3, we have him shifting it, shifting it total, totally. We're getting outside of church. No longer are we dealing with church leadership. No longer are we dealing with how we should operate as we gather, as we, as we live life in community as a church. But he takes it a step further. He says, this is how you need to operate when, you go, when, you're, when you're sent out. This is how you need to operate when you're, when you're living in secular society. And so this is, we're going to look at three areas here in this passage that I, that, you know, I believe it uh, lends itself to. One, remember how we are supposed to live. Remember what God has done in us and remember what God has done for us. There's the areas. So remember what, what, how we are supposed to live. Remember what God has done in your life and remember what God has done for you. So... <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 1, he makes a shift. He moves from the church. He moves outside of the walls of the church. It says, remind them to be, the people in the church, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And what's interesting here is that when you go to chapter 1, and he's giving you this description of the people who are sowing so much dissension who are who are the false teachers like those are the ones that are doing it wrong and he's setting them these are the ones who are doing it wrong we want you to not do that and we want you to do this um don't be insubordinate be you know be decent human beings in society and i think really what it's you you know this like you're you know this you know you're not supposed to be your your personality you know you know, scale on the Briggs scale shouldn't be J-E-R-K. Like, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, a, a decent human being, right? 
So he's reminding them this. Like, so they've already learned it. You guys have already learned it. Be nice. You know, be nice. And so he's, he's con, you know, contrasting it to these, this difficult people who are, who are teaching false things. He says, be subject to rulers and authorities and be obedient. This is the law of the land. Uh, this is your work relationships. You're, 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 if you're, you're working for someone, they have authority over you. Like the last thing you would want to, like if you were the boss, right? If you were the boss, like would you want someone who was constantly like not, not doing their job? Like, like if, if you're doing that, you're probably not going to have a job very long, right? You're going you're gonna to be fired. So you think be subject to the rulers and to authorities. There's order. There's order there. He goes on, they're not to malign anyone or, or speak bad about people, uh, badmouth someone, slander them. Being peaceable and gentle, showing consideration for all men. Like, this is just being, being, a, being a nice person. And you think about the golden, the golden rule. It's just, do unto others as they have done unto you, right? That, okay, okay. Yeah, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, so, so you're, you're an employee, like, reverse the role. Like, how, how, what kind of employee would you want if you were, if, if you were um, the employer? Um, someone cuts you off or someone, someone harms you or hurts you, like, you know, what would you want if the role was reversed and you just lost your junk one day and, and someone else was, was hurt by you, like, how would you want to be treated? Would you want grace? Would you want forgiveness? Or would you want the same thing to be done to you? And, and so the goal here is that you, you, don't, you, you don't harm other people. But you, you treat people as you would want to be treated. And, and there you're, you're mirroring the gospel. Because here's, here's the reality. God helps us to be conscious of, of our surroundings. And God is the one who enables us to serve and love other people. Um, but I mean, you, you guys have always, I'm sure you guys have, have dealt with people who are like this. You, you are convinced they are oblivious to their surroundings. Like, it's, it's, it's their world, we just live in it. You know, that, that, that group of people. Like, and I, I feel like, as Brent said, I, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got three preschoolers. Um, I've got twin girls that are two. My son will be four in October. And sometimes I feel like they're oblivious to, to their surroundings, right? I, I, I think, like... I took them this week to Bass Lake uh, Ale House to eat dinner. My wife, she, she helps uh, coach a softball team. And so that was the last. I will never do that again by myself. <laughs> there's, there's something, right, that, that, that the moms have this superhero ability to, to wrangle three children. And when the dads do it, like, like we lose. Like, I, I, I lose. I, but I, I took them to this place. And we, we I somehow heard these cats into the, into the, into the restaurant. And they're not listening to me at all. Imagine that. I don't know. It's like they've got their own little mind, and they, you know, they don't have ears to hear their parents say, no, don't scream in here. Don't run over there. Don't climb over the table. Don't, don't, don't like, throw your crayons across the room at the people sitting beside us. You know, it's, you know so and that's actually what I was telling them, and they weren't listening to me. And they're not, they weren't, considerate of the people around them. My daughter, she's sitting beside me, and she's climbing over the table. And so I finally tell the waitress, say, look, just bring us this stuff to go, and we'll leave. We won't, we won't, <laughs> we won't hinder your, your establishment anymore. Just bring us your stuff in a styrofoam plate. We'll go. We'll, we'll leave, I promise. And by the time, like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, all right, all right, kids, we've got to go. Y'all aren't paying attention. Y'all, or y'all aren't listening. Y'all are you're being disruptive, it's time to go. It's like they kicked it up a notch higher. I'm like, I felt, I, I literally felt trapped. Like, I felt trapped. I can't leave. I can't, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm having one of these, like, parental breakdowns where, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's like that they weren't considered. We, we wound up getting out, and I probably will, I will likely never go back to that restaurant again. I'll never show my face. <laughs> and defeat, but but it, be considerate. We say be be considerate. Uh, show uh, every consideration for all men. It's not it's, it's not just for the people that you want to be considerate with. Just just for the people that you like. Just for the people that are nice. Be considerate 
and be ready for uh, be ready for every good deed to malign no one to be peaceable gentle showing every consideration for all men this is looking to other people's needs other than your own to other people's needs not being so focused on what's going on in your life that you fail to see that there are other people around you who may need who may need an act of, of they may need to see the image of God bared in a, in a good way in their life they may need to see that um, and there are a few implications here um, that we need to I think look at one is we have to interact with people right we can't just go I guess if we want to live in a, in a monastery and or, or live in, as a monk and we can kind of sit around and pray for you know people you know, if we want to do that we don't have to really deal with anybody but you know, we have to interact with people, and sometimes those people are going to have, uh, they're going to hold positions of authority over us, and so we need to recognize and respect their role and respect the role that we have in that relationship. There's always order. There's always order. Um, there, there should be. There should be order. And here's the kicker, right? This is the one that we don't always think about, but sometimes the people that we interact with are going to be difficult people. Sometimes you're going to want to talk bad about them because the, talking bad about them is actually talking the truth about them, right? Yeah, sometimes you're going to want to, to, to not be peaceable with them. Sometimes you're going to want to manhandle them, you know, and so it's, it's, it's easy to be kind to kind people, but what does Jesus say? He says, your, your love is perfected in how you love your, your, your enemies, right? So, so that's where it's at. We're imaging forth God. And so every good deed is a way that we're imaging forth God in the world. <clears throat> so if you remember what Grandma said, is that you know, if, you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So you're, you're verbally talking with someone. You can't say anything nice, don't, don't say anything at all. And do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like if the role was reversed, this is how you should treat people. And, and as Titus is telling the church here, I'm telling you, you know this. Just remember it. Remember it. So <clears throat> remember how we're supposed to live in society. And remember what God has done in your life. Um, in verse 3 it says this. It says, for, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And there's a couple of categories here. You've got, you've got um, foolishness, enslaved, enslavement, and, and destructive. Like we can kind of group all these in. But, but I think about this. Remember what God has done in your life. Okay? So Brent did a great job making me sound like I'm, at least, at least if, if I've got a professional degree that I can preach with, right, right? That's, that's what I have. And, and advanced biblical studies, like you, you can ask me anything that you want to ask me, but the chances are I've forgotten the answers. So I'll have to send you elsewhere. While Rick is getting his PhD or D-man, you can talk with him. Um, but you know, really... I heard the story about Adrian Rogers, who was a, I don't know if you guys know who Adrian Rogers was, but he was a, a Southern Baptist pastor, very, very booming voice, he commanded attention, and solid believer, one of the champions of, of the past 50 years as far as Christianity is concerned in our American culture, and um, he was speaking to some young pastors, and, and or not young pastors, but pastors across the board at a conference. And basically, he's laying it out. He's saying, how many of you were valedictorians? How many of you were lettered in high school, were you know, class presidents, blah, 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 all of these things that, that would make you somewhat important and special? And like 30% of the pastors were standing up, and he said, he said, I've got good news and bad news. And the good news was that God could still use them and the bad news is that they weren't his first choice. God uses normal people who really have no, uh, nothing to offer, and he, he does a work in them in order that, that they might be obedient to him. They may be fully yielded to him to do what he wants them to do and not what they want to do. And it takes a work. It takes a work of, of God speaking the gospel into people's lives, renewing their hearts, you know, 
this big fancy word regenerating them, changing them, making them new, and using them for whatever tool that, they, that he wants to use them to do. That they, we, are, we are the resources that God uses to image his, image his goodness and his beauty in this world. Regardless of what we have to offer, it doesn't matter what you have to offer because in the grand scheme of things, God's going to say, you've got nothing that I need, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use you as a conduit of the gospel to image my beauty and my glory in this world. And so you remember what, what God has done in your life. So we, we can break this down into a couple of categories. Um, the first category is foolishness, which in the, in the passage it seems to be just, we've got a faulty, they've got a faulty understanding of, of God and salvation. <clears throat> and so what Jesus, Jesus uses this word in Luke 24, 25, when he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So these people are just, they, they're, not, they're foolish, they're not believing the gospel. Psalm 14, one says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So this, is, this, this foolish thinking, it may simply be a lack of information or unintentional ignorance. So this, this is what it is. We, we, scripture teaches that no one, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands God, no one seeks God. And so this is where the gospel comes, is that God hasn't abandoned us and left us on our own to figure it out. No, God cared enough about us to invest in us. God, God didn't leave us here. God didn't let us eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and live forever perpetually separated from him. He casted Adam and Eve out of the garden in order that there might be hope, in order that there might be grace extended. So we were once foolish, is what he's saying. Before, before God interacted in your life and it intervened in your life, you were foolish to the things of God. Second category is enslavement. This, this, it says that they were, it says we were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. This could be anything that you desire that takes you away from, from, from the essential things in life. Such as worshiping God, praising your wife and giving her the attention that, and the affection that she needs. Supporting your husband and giving them the affirmation that he needs. Loving your, your kids and giving them the guidance and leadership that they need. Instead of trying to let them figure it out on their own. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard a family member say, uh, say one time that, that they're, they're going to let their, their daughter uh, figure out life on their own and they're, they're going to be around and provide a roof and roof and you know, shelter and clothing for them but they're just letting their, their child figure things out and I'm like that, that just that, that seems that's not the way that we are to image God in the world especially to our family to our, to our kids you know, edifying your brother and sister in Christ encouraging them to godliness loving your neighbor all, all that, the list could go on Anything that takes us away from that, whether it's money, our work, um, our, our hobbies, whatever the case may be. And, and, and here's the reality is you could be a, I mean, I have to guard myself against this. You know, I can be a, a, a you know, I can give counsel, premarital counseling to, to multiple, you know, marriage counseling to, to 15 couples. But if I'm not paying atten attention to my wife, then what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, setting, I'm setting something else up then to distract uh, up against her, to, to distract me from actually serving my family well. So a third category is really, I, I think, one of the worst. is destructive of relationships. It says this, you spend, you spend our lives, they spend their life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And, and this is one of those things that I feel like, I can I can be somewhat transparent with you guys in in this because I I can reflect on where I was even 15 years ago as a as a 17 18 year old boy because I I feel like nowadays most 17 18 years are still boys they're not they're not mature they they haven't they haven't grown up like my you know, my my grandpa let me take this a step further so so I, my family has been in Harnett County for like 200 years right. 
So, so I can make jokes about Harnett County and be okay. Be, be, it can be okay, but if, if I was from another part of the country, I probably couldn't make jokes about it. But it's no joke. But my great-grandpa, he, his parents died when he was 10 years old, right? So he, he, he had to go out and, and farm, and, and he would live with whoever would let him stay with him. They had, he was the oldest of, of a couple of siblings. And my, my grandpa, there's a picture in my, my house where my grandpa and my uncle, they were like eight and nine years old working in the fields. Like my grandpa had his finger bandaged up from where he had chopped off at the end of his finger and like they bandaged it up, put him back out there to work. Eight and nine years old. Like now 18 year olds, they're boys. But getting back to the point where I'm, where I'm going, I didn't know what was going on. I had gotten somewhere, I had gotten caught up in this idea that there was this big difference between whites and blacks and I had, I had been taught, not by my parents, but by my peers, that I was supposed to be racist. And so this, and I think this can go into this category of, of being hateful and hating one another. You know, I wasn't viewing people as, as image bearers of God in that moment. And, and I can honestly say that somewhere... God began to speak into my life, and God began to do a work in my heart and change me, you know, to where, here's what God did, okay, here's what God did, I was living in one of those apartments where you can, you can get, you're in college or whatever, and God puts you in this place where you, you can, you can rent one room, and another student can rent another room, and then another, it was a three-bedroom apartment, we all had independent rents or whatever, and so me and this other white guy were, were living together, and he, he absolutely annoyed me to death. And then God put a, 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 a black guy in, in, in the, the room. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, here, I'm, I'm a believer. Like, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And here's, here's the, the amazing thing about that, is that God allowed me to connect with, with this brother in a way that I couldn't connect with the white guy. And, and through a year of having that relationship, God changed me. It changed my heart. You know, and it wasn't gradual. Then, then I, I kind of got to where I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, I got to where I will. You know, I'd still look and say, hey, a, a, a white person and a black person shouldn't be. They shouldn't be married. They shouldn't date. I struggle with it. Gradually, God began to continue to do work in my heart. And now, I can honestly say, as a, as a father of, of three children, that what I care more about, you know, I don't care what color spouse my child has if they, if they decide to get married. I don't care. What I care is, does their future spouse love Jesus? And will they love them the way Jesus loves them? And, and that's, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And that, that is the beauty of the church, is that there's no, there's, no, there's no divide there. There's one family, one household of God. And so you, you think back on, on what, what has God done in your life. What has he done in your life? And you reflect on it. And you see, okay, I'm here, but where did I used to be? And not, not because of what I've accomplished myself, but what, what has God done in you at this point in time? What has God done in your life throughout the course of your life to help you be a better image bearer of him in this world? So, <clears throat> the big idea is that these things, that whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that you were you were trapped up in whatever lust that you had, whatever, whatever evil was in, your, in, in yourself, regardless of, of you know, whatever your, was in your life, it doesn't have, it, that was past. That was a past experience. God has changed you. And God has, making you, God has made you new. God has made you different. They don't have to define you. Yeah, I don't, it's not, if you were a drug, a drug addict, I'm a former drug addict. No, you're not. You're a child of God, and God changed you. You can say, talk about a past experience that you once had. This was a season of your life, but God changes you. And you don't have to be defined by those things. And so one thing that, that this actually does, if you look at, okay, where you're at now, 
the things that, that you're doing, when you image forth God, as you say, this is God doing a work in me and through me, then what this can help us do is to stop wagging our fingers at other people who may not, who, who may not, they may not have experienced God doing a work in their life. They may not have, have, have experienced that yet. And so what we have to do is continue to bear the, the beautiful image of God in this world by his power, by him doing a change in our life as we yield ourselves to him by his grace. <clears throat> as we go down, verse 4, verse 4. Um, uh, this, okay, this right here, this is where we go. Uh, we need to remember what God has done for us. Not just what, how we're supposed to live, not just what God has done in us, but what has God done for us, because this ultimately is what matters. This is what matters the most because if we, if we fail to get this and we fail to receive what God has done for us, then it really doesn't matter about the other two steps. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how, how decent you are. Those things are great for people around you, but, but it has nothing to do with your heart, your soul. So, remember what God has done for you. And, and, and in verses 4 through 7, this is really one of the more concise passages of Scripture where... where, where the, the whole message of the gospel and salvation is laid out it's clear as day clear as day verse 4 says but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit uh, the, the renewing up by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is it. This is, this is what it's all about. This is God doing something for us through Jesus, not, not something that we're earning, not something that, that God, God oh, well, God, I did this and this. Like, you owe me. You owe me. It's not, it's, it's, it's because of God's kindness and God's love and God's mercy. Because of those, this is what God has done for us. And he clearly says, it's not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. The scripture teaches, no, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God, no one understands God. Romans 3, 11 and 12. So, so this is God doing a work in us. Not because we're deserving of it, but because he loves us. Not because I've gone through life and never aborted a child and have this great view of, of, of life. That's not why God says, okay, he's, he's my child, I like him. He shares my view of, of the sanctity of life. It's not, it's not because I have this understanding of a healthy marriage. It's, it's, not, it's not that at all. It's, it's God in his grace, reaching down into our lives uh, and changing us. It's God enabling people who have experienced this salvation, being able, working through a group of people who see someone murder their family members and say, I forgive you. That's God at work. That's God enabling people to bear his image in this world when naturally, when it goes against everything that's natural to us. God is doing a work for us. It's not that we've deserved it. It's not that we've done something that, that deserves God's favor. God is doing something for us. And there's a couple of things here that, that we can draw from this. As one is despite our foolish, hateful, and wicked hearts, God is still kind to us and loves us enough to get involved in our lives. And I, I think we've got, to, we've got to remember this. We've got to remember it. You, you know, look, I think what we tend to do is we, we, we see ourselves, and we've got it together, and we look out, we look out in the world and we see people who, who really have it, they, they really are missing the point. And we like to think, down, think negatively of them. But God speaks, God loves us despite our sexual orientation, you know, our, our, our pride, our racist attitudes, and he wants to do a change in us. He wants to mold us. 
He wants to, to, to change those ways into something beautiful, into something that, that better reflects his glory, better, better images him in this world. So despite our foolishness, our hateful and wicked hearts, God still wants to be involved in us. And secondly, God, he doesn't, have a, he doesn't save us based on our good deeds. He saves us according to his mercy. This is something that, that probably could be one of the, the most laughable things to our society. Let me explain what I mean. Oh, I can do whatever I want to do. I can go kill a bunch of people, and God will forgive me. Just trust, just accept Jesus into your heart. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times. That is a joke. That's a joke. That's almost like you can go blow up a, a Muslim can go blow up a building and be awaited by seventy virgins. Like that's a joke. But here's the deal. It's because it's a faulty understanding of the gospel. It's a faulty understanding of the gospel when when we are changed by Jesus. And we come to him and we say, Jesus, I'm accepting you as my source of salvation. I'm accepting you as my life. I'm accepting you as my Lord, as my God. And I'm accepting what you did on the cross by dying on the cross and conquering death and sin and Satan and raising from the grave. I'm accepting that as my only hope of salvation. I'm accepting that as, as payment for all of the wretched sinful activities in my life and at that point in time God does something miraculous God it says that he he washes us he regenerates us he makes us new he renews our mind by the Holy Spirit God changes us God changes us it's not just okay now I, don't have, I can do whatever I want to do I can do whatever I want to do I've trusted Jesus I'm good now you've got a faulty understanding of the gospel and that's where you're at you probably haven't heard from God. But there's a, there's, there's a couple of enemies of the gospel, and I, I'm going to give you three of them. Two of them came from uh, Tim Keller's book on preaching. Um, and one of them is just one that I, I think that it's really the whole point of the passage is, is to remind us. But the two, two of them that Keller gives are, are, are legalism and, and uh, this big word antinomianism. Um, legalism basically just says, okay, if I do this, well, he says that the view that we put God in our debt and procure his blessings with our goodness. If I do enough good, then God owes me something. Okay, God, I've done this. I've done this. Can I, I can go to heaven now, right? So God is somehow obligated to us because of our actions. And that just, that just seems to flow wrong as it comes out of my mouth. That God is obligated to you and me. He's not. God, because his mercy and his love and his kindness... He gets involved in our mess. He changes our filthy diapers. That's what he does. He makes us new. So legalism is, is this idea that we can, because I do this, then God somehow is supposed to bless me. If I give on Sunday mornings, then God's going to bless me back. If I, if, I, if I act the way that I'm supposed to, then God's going to bless me in a certain way. Uh, yeah, this is just, you know, God is enabling us to do what we do anyway. Um, the second, the second enemy is, is is antinomianism, which again it goes back to saying that, you know, we can relate to God without obeying His words and His commands. You know, we say, okay, Jesus died for my sin; I can do whatever I want to do. And that's that is an enemy of the gospel. It's a faulty view of the gospel. And one thing that can, and this is the third thing that that can affect us. <clears throat> it's our that's our mind. It's our our forgetfulness. We get caught up in what's going on in our in our life. Yeah, you know, I used to say when, when my dad died. Okay, well, when my dad, you know, my dad committed suicide. Yeah, yeah it's kind of hard. Like he, he was in the hospital for four days, and I watched him, kind of interacted with him. But yeah, he, he took his life. But when I, when I think back on that time, there was never a moment where I was like, "Where are you at, God? Why did you allow this to happen?" I just said, "Well, it wasn't supposed to end that way." Like I remember, I remember, like you know bawling my eyeballs out like in the front yard of my dad's house like pounding the ground like that was going to do anything it wasn't supposed to end that way you know with me having an argument with my dad over something stupid because and here's the deal with my dad I think some of you guys know my knew my dad there's an old country song about him this is them that don't know him won't like him and them that do sometimes won't know how to take him uh, and so uh, dad was a uh, dad was a very good but anyway 
going through that, there was never a moment where I doubted God's presence and God's involvement in my life. And, and I think somewhere along the way, it's because I had, I had come to the conclusion that God, God is a... If, if you are, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then you know he's in control regardless of what goes on around you, regardless of how, how life may be. The gospel is still able to, to empower you, and I think sometimes we forget this. And you look back on, you look back on um, in the book of Judges, you've got the people of Israel, they've been brought through the the land they've been brought they've been brought through the land a whole generation has died out because they said oh we don't want to go into the land where god said he's going to give us because we're scared of the big people there and so what we would rather do is is rather than be defeated in battle and go into the land we, we would rather die in the wilderness and go back to egypt and so god says okay you know, okay and so for 40 years they wandered around their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes they, they had food to eat and their clothes didn't wear out but they died. The generation died, and so uh, this new generation went in. And you've got Joshua going into the, the land of, of, of Israel, leading the people in there, and God giving them the land that he promised to them. I mean, they, they, this generation of people saw, saw the exodus. They saw the plagues. They saw the, the crossing over the, the, uh, the Red Sea. They saw all of this stuff. That they, they saw the miraculous food during that time. They saw all of that stuff. And it says when, when, when Joshua died, and, and you go to the book of Judges, it says there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. They forgot about him. And, and part of this application is, is, is passing it down to the next generation. But, but just for the now, like, like, how do you think we forget about it? Why do we forget about the gospel? We, we, don't, we get so busy. We get caught up in what we're doing that we don't reflect on what God has done for us. And we forget what God has done in us as well. Because we get so caught up in the present. We don't, we don't take time for reflection. Um, looking at verse 8, I, I know that, that uh, the next week you guys are going to be on, on that verse. But, but this is where I think the purpose comes in. This is where the purpose comes in. It says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. So that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. This is a purpose. We are, when we engage in our community with, by doing good deeds, by go, doing good things, by imaging uh, the beauty of God in this world, that we, we shine light in this world. It's no longer a dark place. Like we shine light into the world and how we image and how we stand as image bearers of God. Not only, not only because we're people, because we've been changed by Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, moving in us, and helping us to walk in the image of Jesus. Okay, so here's, here's how I want to apply this. There's a, there's a couple of, the, the application is this. Remember the golden rule? Treat people nice. Treat people the way you would want to be treated if the roles were reversed. Um, remember, like, ask yourself, what, what has God done in your life? In the past, what has God done in your life? And what has God done for you through Jesus to give you hope, to give you salvation, to give you redemption, to give you the ability to love your enemy, to give you the ability to forgive your enemy? What, what, what has God done in your life? Reflect on that. And, and for you guys, okay, so you guys, how many of you have been here since Anthem started? Okay, a few, a few. So, you guys are you guys are at the two-year growing pain moment, all right? Two year. I, I can only speak to it based on my past experience with with church planning, and my experience talking with other pastors. But, but at this point in time, there's a level of fatigue that kicks in. There's a level of there's 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 people people who were with you at one point in time are starting to rotate out. You, you, you've, you've had enough time involved where it's not just fun and games. You, you've, got, you've got this level of, you've had, to, you've had to deal with, you know, situations that weren't the best. And, and you've got that in, 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 your, in your history now. And so this is one thing that I think this passage could speak to, to that as far as the church is concerned. Is one is that God is involved. He's still involved. He's always been involved. And two is that God is doing a work in you and in the lives of the people in this community. 
He's doing that. You just need to continue to yield yourself to him. Continue to, to be the image bearers of God in this world through his power. And, 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 and let God do what he's going to do. And yield to that. So here's what we're going to do. I want, to, I want us to close our eyes. We're going to have a time of, of response. Um, and reflect on what God has done in your life. It could be at different seasons. What God's done in your marriage. Maybe there was a time when, when your, your marriage was in shambles. It was about to fall apart and God did something to change you. Maybe, maybe you were, were like me as a child and, and were ignorant to the ways of, of people being made in the image of God and, and had to be redeemed from being a racist. Maybe it was a drug addict. Maybe, maybe it was whatever the case may be. Like, reflect on that. What has God done in your life? Maybe that you, you don't sense that God has done anything in your life. And what I would say to you is that maybe at that point in time, and maybe at this point in time, it's, it's time for you to yield yourself to God, receive the beautiful message of Jesus that he came, he lived a perfect and holy life, and he died on the cross in order that he, may, he might pay that death penalty for you. And pay for your pay your sin debt, and conquer death, and conquer Satan, and sin for you. Maybe you just need to come to the point where you you say, God, I, I trust in that, and that's it. You believe in it, and you will be saved. If that's something that you are pondering, you're thinking about now. Um, don't let today go by without telling someone on the host team here, telling myself. And we'll guide you and walk with you through that. Reflect on what God has done for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the hope that you give us in Jesus. And God, it's not a... It's not, something that we don't earn. Like You give us salvation. You give us hope. You give us um, redemption, forgiveness. And it's, it's based on your love and your kindness and your mercy and not anything that we've done. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that with confidence we can say that we are known by you because of what you've done for us in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for, for us all, God, that we would be better image bearers of you in this world. And Lord, we know that in order for us to do that well, we have to follow Jesus. So God, I pray if there's people here who haven't made that decision to follow you, Lord, that they would do so today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.